Welcome to The Daily Brew. I'm Jordi Retsuarsen, and you're listening to the 8th Sports Roundtable podcast of the Stanford men's basketball season. So what I try to do with my stuff is try to keep it as objective as possible, try not to be influenced by other by other sources, and you know try to get it as close to I can as what, what, what reality should be. Hello, everyone. Teddy Solomon here with Els Boone and Jabril Taha, and welcome to the Stanford Daily Men's Basketball Podcast. Today, we have a very special episode for all of you, including a recap of the Cardinals' trip to Utah and Colorado, a preview of the upcoming games against the LA schools, a fantastic guest, and much more. Because we have such a packed episode, let's get right into it, starting with Thursday's game against Utah. Els, can you give us a quick recap of that game? Yeah, going into this game against Utah was one that Stanford really needed to win, not only to keep the pace in the Pac-12 standings, but really to keep the pace in their NCAA tournament hopes. And they just did not get a win. You have to mention it was the return of Dejon Davis. He did not start, but he played 25 minutes, had 19 points. But for a recap point of view, it was a close game for much of the first half. Then the final three minutes, Utah went on a 14-2 run to close out the half, and Stanford really just never recovered. Utah was able to keep a double-digit lead for all of the second half and pull away with a win. And it was one that was just really disappointing for Cardinal fans because you thought Stanford was on a good run of games and really could go on to maybe challenge for the Pac-12 title. And now, as we'll also talk on the Colorado game, it's not looking that likely. We'll go over to you now, Jabril. Yeah, disappointing loss for the Cardinal, as El said. Uh, some things that stood out to me were some positive light. Zaire putting up 17 points. He's really hit his stride now in these past few games and is looking like the star freshman we all expect him to do. So that's a great sign. Uh, Michael O'Connell, who had been amazing and not turning the ball over, turned the ball over three times that game. So he didn't have his best game. He only put up two points. And Oscar Da Silva only getting five field goal attempts. They really did a good job protecting him from dominating the game like he was against some of the weaker opponents in the Pac-12. So again, this is, for me, the first bad loss on the Cardinals record this year. And of course, it made, was made all the more frustrating when Cal came in two nights later and got a win on the road against Utah. Definitely, Jabril. I'm glad you mentioned that Cal win against Utah because it really shows. So at, at this point in the season, Utah had not proven themselves. They did not really have a, a good win on their resume. This win over Stanford is a good win, but it's a bad loss for Stanford. Um, all around, things just didn't seem to be going well from the end of the first half through the end of the game. And Oscar De Silva being shut down, like you mentioned, was a key part of that. He only had five shots on the game because they basically just just had a wall down low, stopping him from from taking shots. It, it was pretty incredible what the Utah defense did, but Oscar De Silva definitely could have found a way to be scoring a little bit more. Spencer Jones only three points. That definitely had a factor in the game. Jones was then out in the next game, which we'll we'll talk about later. Um, but then the freshman contributions outside of Zaire Williams were not what what we would usually expect. So Michael O'Connell, as you mentioned, only two points. Brandon Angel two, Merrill two. Noah Tates with zero points despite despite playing eleven minutes. And when you've got Bryce Wills out of the game, you're going to need the freshman to step up. And when other players aren't playing as well, you want to hope for the freshman to step up. So it was a difficult game for Stanford, one that could likely affect their their chances of the NCAA tournament down the line, especially given that Utah's really looking like they're going to finish near the bottom of the Pac-12. But 
Now moving into Saturday's game, which was against Colorado, a team that's really right at the top of the Pac-12. Um, I'm going to go to you, Jabril, for a quick recap of that one. Yeah, well, I'll start before the game. Uh, we found out that Spencer Jones did, was not going to play. He's day-to-day with hip injury. Hopefully he'll be back uh, in time for the LA schools this week. Uh, but in terms of the actual game, uh, Oscar Da Silva put up 22 points. I think he had a solid game. Zaire, again, 17 points, 7 for 15 field goals. I thought he was the Cardinals' best player on the floor. Again, reiterating the point, he's really starting to hit his form. And then, really, the first half, it was a pretty even game. Stanford was in it, and it was a one-point game with, like, six and a half minutes left. And then Colorado just went on another, a run at the end of the half, and Stanford found themselves down 14. So we're really starting to see a trend here of the Cardinals' offense, just like last year, just turning off at certain points of the game and giving a big run, putting them out of games. And Els, can you give some key takeaways from this game, a little bit of analysis? Yeah, as Jibril mentioned, Spencer Jones missing this game, and Spencer really is this team's three-point threat. When he goes out, you need somebody to step up scoring-wise, and really no one did. Dejon only had four points. I think that's a low for the season for him. Um, and if, you, if you're not going to have any scoring from Dejon, and then, of course, you're missing Jones and Wills, Someone off the bench is going to have to step up, and really the bench production was just not there. Max Merle looked good in the first half. He had five points in the game, but the only other bench player to score was James Keith, who had three points, and he only played two minutes for the whole game. So really, you're going to need to see some more scoring from the bench, and somebody has to step up. And this team is just too susceptible to runs right now. That's back-to-back games where a team went scored 14 unanswered, basically, to end the first half. Right. And unfortunately, the guard play was just not there for the Cardinal. Dejon Davis, as you mentioned, with with just four points on 23 minutes, Michael O'Connell not scoring in the game on 23 minutes of play. Noah Tate's playing for 14 minutes, 0 for 5 from the field, 0 for 3 from long range. So it was a difficult game for the guards, especially with Bryce Wills being out. The guards had to step up on the offensive end and the defensive end because they knew they were missing a key defensive piece in wills so it's a very good colorado team a team that is projected by many analysts to to finish near or at the top of the pac-12 possibly winning the conference they're a very good team mckinley wright a definite candidate for pac-12 player of the year not a bad loss losing on the road against colorado it's a difficult place to play against a very good team but it was a winnable game the cardinal kept it close for a while and it was difficult to see some of the guards not step up the way that we would usually expect Now that we've gotten a chance to recap this past week's games, I am thrilled to welcome Eric Haslam of HaslamMetrics.com to the podcast to talk about analytics, college basketball, and NCAA tournament projections. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course. So we have some questions about Stanford, the Pac-12, and the NCAA tournament. And Jabril, I'll go to you for the first question. Yeah, well, thanks again for joining us, Eric. So my first question is, so when projecting the field of 68, how do you weigh your analytical ratings with other factors like win-loss record or margin of victory? And that's going to depend as the season goes along. Very early on in the season, obviously, I, you know, I, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. My, my performance ratings are, uh, are a big part of it at first, where that's based on not, not so much wins and losses, but how a team performs. And I was just talking to someone on Twitter about this before, about performance rankings. You can have a team that, for example, early on in the season played the, the worst, or I'm excuse me, played the best four teams in the country, and maybe they lost all of those games in overtime. They'd still be ranked as a very highly elite team at that point. So wins and losses don't matter for performance ranking, but it really comes into play to determine how good that team is going forward. Um, as far as wins and losses go, then there's something called record quality. 
And that's something they also factor in more and more as the season goes along. And that really takes into account the quality of your opposition and whether or not you won the game or you lost the game. Because at the end of the day, what the, the, what the scoreboard says matters. Um, those are not the only factors. There's other factors as well as um, things that I can calculate, like uh, uh, quadrant victories. Now, granted, I can't do a quadrant victory on the fly from the net. I don't want to rely on other, um, other metrics. So I use the, qual- the, uh, the quadrant stuff. Uh, the cl- what I call the classic quadrant, which relies on the RPI to determine uh, quadrant one, two victories, things like that. There are other factors as well as impact victories. There's um, record versus the top. It's it's a mesh of like the top 40, top 50, top 60. It kind of brings all those together, how, you, how your record is against that level of opposition. And then there's a few other little factors like a really elite record, like going a 27 and one or the opposite, which would be a, t- a team like uh, Purdue last year. There's little penalties for your your record. I think Purdue was something like 16 and 15 last year. They might even had a losing record at one point down the stretch. If that happens, you start getting penalties to your record. Some of these have kicked in already. Some of these kick in a little bit later on down the road, but it's kind of this mishmash of different things. And when it comes to projecting the bracketology, that's what I try to do. I try to do it. Uh, try, you know, it's everybody uses the eye test, and I, I feel like I want to try to be as objective as possible. And I see with a lot of the bracketology folks, it's reliant on what every, what the herd kind of says. And I see, oh, a lot of people are putting this team in, so I'm going to put this team in. So what I try to do with my stuff is try to keep it as objective as possible. Try not to be influenced by other by other sources, and you know, try to get it as close to I can as what 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 reality should be. Um, what what the committee would pick for the for the 68 teams. So how would you rank the Power Six conferences from top to bottom so far this season? You know, I had this um, about a week ago. I, I ran these numbers, and I think and and it's really hard um, sometimes to answer that question because how do you want to do it? You know, they, some people say, well, you know, it's unfair for the Pac-12 that they've got Washington and Washington State and Oregon State dragging them down. Um, what I, what I normally just do is I just, you know, just take the average of my performance rankings to see where, where these teams fall. And for the most part in the last two or three seasons, it seems like there's a, there's kind of a one, a, and a one B and the one, a has been largely the big 10 and the big 12, the last two or three seasons. And then the one B is going to be kind of a mixture of the ACC, the big East, the PAC 12. And, uh, uh, did I say the SEC, ACC? Big 12, Big um, Big East, Pac-12, that's the four. And last I checked, I know the ACC was third, and I think the Pac-12 was probably sixth um, of, of – well, I, I guess it would be fourth of those four, so sixth in the overall big scheme of things. Um, but I think that's largely because you're, you're seeing some of those teams near the bottom of the Big 12 – or excuse me, the bottom of the Pac-12 that are really dragging things down. As of this morning, Washington is 205th. Uh, Oregon State is 167. California is 146. Washington State is 133. That really drags down the rest of the conference. The next closest team above Washington State at 133 is Arizona State at 77. So you have this big, gigantic gap between the upper tier of the Pac-12 and the bottom tier, and the bottom tier drags them down a little bit. Right. And moving into Stanford specifically, do you project that Stanford will make the NCAA tournament? And off of that, what do the Cardinal have to do for the rest of the season to be in a good position on Selection Sunday? Well, at this point, I have them in the in the last four in, which would put them in a play in game, which as of this morning, I I have them in a play in game with Wichita State. Now, keep in mind, 
my analytics, my bracketology deserves, as I call them, are based exclusively on what has happened so far this season. It doesn't try to simulate what's going to happen the remainder of the season. So keep that in mind. Um, as of as of today, I believe there were five teams that I would have from the Pac-12 that'd be in the NCAA tournament. It should be six, but Arizona has the self-imposed postseason ban, so they're not going to be in there. Um, Stanford is the fifth of the five, and they, like I said, they're in the play-in game. What do they have to do? Well, there's not a lot of room for error. If you're looking at a team like, I'll pick UCLA. UCLA is actually um, not really an elite team from my perspective. They're ranked 31st in the country, but when you look at their record quality and what they've done with their wins and losses, they get a little bit of elbow room where they can afford some losses. Stanford might not have that luxury at this point. I think they got to get some quality wins going forward. They're going to have plenty of opportunities to do so. We are only in the middle of January, and I don't usually go all in on bracketology until February even arrives. Um, so I think there's plenty of time for Stanford to move move north in the in the bracketology deserves. Um, as of today, they just sit as uh, one of the last four in. Right. And Stanford opened the season with an 18-point win over Alabama, obviously the best win of the season thus far for the Cardinal. And the Crimson Tide have looked unbeatable in the SEC, including a road win over Tennessee. Uh, and as of today, are sitting at number 14 in your rating system. So how important do you think that win was? And what role, if any, does the fact that it was the first game of the season play come selection Sunday? It's still going to factor in. And it's uh, and it's it's really the, all this that's happening for Alabama right now is only going to benefit Stanford. And because you're going to take all these into account of how good a team is at the time you're evaluating. So today, when I look at these, the ratings and the rankings, I'm evaluating how good they are today. So that looks, so you look at that and you see that game efficiency rating, you go to my site and you click on Stanford and you see there's a game efficiency rating, the best performances and the worst performances that game against Alabama is far and away the best rating. It, it scores a, a plus 43.7. The next closest is a game, a win over North Carolina A&T, which only scored a 13.8. Um, that's a huge, huge number. And that's going to benefit them in the long run. Now, is that going to, lose its value over time because it was played on November the 30th? Yes, it is. Um, I believe everything everything burns off at a rate of something like, I forget the exact number, I, I, I always forget, but it's something like 2%, 1.5% every single day. So, that's some, so by, I want to say, 30 or 40 days after a game is played, it has roughly half the weight of what it originally had. So now you're looking at that game with Alabama. That has been... Uh, it's been roughly a month and a half since that game was played. So yeah, I would say that the value of that game is roughly, roughly half of what it was a month and a half ago. So one surprise team of the Pac-12 so far has been Colorado, led by McKinley Wright, who could potentially be the Pac-12 Player of the Year. What have you made of them so far this year, and are they, are they where you thought they would be coming into the season? No, they were not. Coming into the season, I had them, I believe I, they started the season ranked at 51st. And I don't think a lot of people would probably argue with that. I don't think that was a Colorado team that a lot of people saw as being the best in the Pac-12 right now. Uh, I believe most places probably had them picking, picked for seventh or something like that in the Pac-12. But it's, a, it's, it's really an interesting team. I mean, that's a, that, it's that physical defense they play. And, you know, it's not a team to me that really – shines is like, well, I need to watch Colorado basketball. But when you look at what they do on both sides of the ball, it's incredibly efficient. As of this morning, they're 14th in offensive efficiency, uh, seventh in defensive efficiency. They, one of the benefits, one of the things I like to talk up about Colorado is they are, there are two teams 
that are elite in free throw shooting in this country. One of them is Colorado. The other is Lafayette. And when you're showing, when I show their numbers, their free throw percentage during meaningful game minutes over 85%, that really makes a big impact. When you think about what that means, you're basically giving yourself three or four points a game over the average division one team just because of you're able to make your free throws and that is a big benefit of what's going on with colorado this year i think that's a big part of their success this season the other part of it is you know they're seventh in the country in defensive efficiency this is a team that um you know they don't foul their eighth in defensive free throw attempt rate it's it's a physical style of play but it really does do the job and they just have they've been really just efficient across the board on both ends of the court and that's what you got to do to climb the rankings and final question for you. Do you think the selection committee will be mindful of the context of the season? Let's take Stanford as an example, never being able to play a game at home in Maple Pavilion or really any other team that were greatly affected by COVID. Will these factors weigh on the minds of the committee? I think they probably will. It's hard for me to say exactly what different individuals on the committee take into account, but I think a lot of this comes in with the analytics. I think some of the stuff that I do looks at these games and says, hey, where are these games being played? And you're giving di different teams a benefit uh, a, a certain uh, point benefit based on the fact that they're going on the road versus playing at home. So some of that is going to come out in the metrics, um, largely represented by the net rating, which is what they're going to probably use. But I'm sure it's factored in there. You've heard um, the kind of a, a 10,000 foot view of what goes into the net. And they talk about there is that home court advantage and where the games are played. So that will factor in um, when it comes down to, you know, specific situations of, oh, this team played a lot more road games. I think those discussions happen in the committee room. So I think if Stanford is going to be on the bubble, I think that's going to be something that's going to come up quite a bit, I would think, in one of the discussions in that committee room. Well, that's it with the questions. Eric, it was a pleasure having you on. We really enjoyed hearing about all this and getting this insight. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Anytime. Now moving to the week ahead, Stanford has some key matchups coming up against the LA schools, USC and UCLA, starting with Thursday's game against USC. Jabril, can you give me some thoughts on that game? Well, by the time USC uh, faces Stanford on Thursday, they'll likely be on a seven game win streak if they're able to take care of Oregon State on Tuesday. Uh, this is a good USA, uh, USC team. I mean, obviously the Mobley brothers are there, but this really game is about Stanford getting back to their fundamentals and playing good basketball. Hopefully Spencer Jones will be back. But again, the, after the fifth straight year of a road sweep at the Mountain Schools, Stanford's hanging on the bubble by a thread right now, just barely inside the NCAA tournament, maybe even out. They really need to find a way to take one of these two games. And I think USC is the weaker team out of the two. So I think this is a game the Cardinals really need to win. And Els, what do you think about this matchup? Yeah, Jabril just said that uh, USC plays Oregon State on Tuesday. Stanford won't have played a game since Saturday. So hopefully the Cardinal will be the more rested team. You know, they looked really tired at times against Colorado, and that came back to bite them. So being the more rested team for a change should help them. They need to come out with a lot of fire uh, on the back of a two-game losing streak. And really the headlining matchup for this is, of course, USC star freshman Evan Mobley against Stanford Zaire Williams, two potential top 10 picks in this year's draft. It should be a good offensive showing, but Stanford's going to have to shut down not only Mobley, but his older brother Isaiah, who's also a big post presence. Right, and this is going to be an interesting matchup to me. I actually think that Stanford does not match up very well against USC, and USC 
is an inconsistent team in my mind. I see games like a 26-point win against BYU or a 14-point road win against Arizona that make USC look like the best team in the conference. But then you see them against UC Riverside going to overtime at home or a very tight game against Washington State at home, and it makes you wonder, are they really at the top of the Pac-12? I see USC in the third to fourth spot of the conference overall. I think that Mobley is going to cause some problems for Stanford down low, and it's going to be a really good matchup to watch. Um, Two very strong teams, USC, a team that I consider to be quite unpredictable. But then moving into Saturday's matchup, another difficult one against a team at the top of the uh, of the Pac-12. It's against UCLA. Els, I'll start with you on this one. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, of course, start. You have to mention this is a UCLA team playing without Chris Smith. I mean, I think we all thought that they were going to take a step back without him, but they're still undefeated in the conference. They have a really balanced scoring attack. Tiger Campbell is their point guard. He's one of the best in the conference. They have some great shooters with Johnny Juzang and Jaime Jaquez. Um, and I just think that this is a really good UCLA team right now, top of the Pac-12. Stanford's going to have to be at the top of their game if they want to uh, get a quote-unquote home win against the Bruins. And Jabril, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, this is the tougher of the two games, in my opinion. Obviously, you have excellent guard play with Hawkes and Campbell. But this Stanford team, again, just needs to settle down here. We go back to fundamentals, get their players back, get the top 10 defensive effort back, defend the three-point ball. This is an undefeated team. They're probably going to be 7-0 by the time they come back. Tough ass for the Cardinal. They really need one of these two games. Not sure which one they're going to get, but they just need one. Yeah, and to me, I see a theme here. So Colorado and Oregon are teams that I see as having played very consistently this entire season and not having picked up bad losses. Whereas UCLA and USC, while they haven't exactly picked up bad losses, they've had games where they have not played as well as you would expect. So for UCLA, one was with Chris Smith going to triple overtime against a Pepperdine team that lost by almost 30 to Cal State Bakersfield. And that Pepperdine team is good, but that was a difficult game to watch for UCLA. They also lost by 15 to a pretty good San Diego State team, but then most recently playing against Washington, one by five, Washington carried a double digit lead into the half. So UCLA doesn't always play their best, but they continue to win games and you can't argue with an undefeated Pac-12 record. So it's going to be a very interesting one. And I want us to give some predictions for these two games. Um, we'll go to you, Els, first. What, do you, what are your predictions for both of them? Yeah, I think in the first one against USC, I think it's going to be a close one throughout. If Stanford can avoid giving up a big run to close one of the halves, I think Stanford ekes out a close win, maybe a two, three-point win over USC. Then heading into the UCLA game, I think I think UCLA wins by a comfortable margin, maybe eight to eight to ten points. And Jabril, what are your predictions for these two games? Well, going in, I expect the Cardinal to be two to five point underdogs in both games, but I think they're able to take the USC game. I just think it's the better matchup for the team. I think USC is a weaker team. I think that's the one out of two game the Cardinal will get, and we'll take that where this where this team is at right now. So I'm going to have to go with a different prediction here. I think that USC is going to take the victory over Stanford. I think that Mobley is going to be proved to be too much down low and that the Cardinal don't have anything to really go against such a dominant, powerful presence there. But I think that Stanford is going to take down UCLA. I think that absence of Chris Smith and his and his leadership is going to be an issue for them. And I also just have not been 100% impressed by this UCLA team at all times. So I'm going to go with a, a a USC victory and then a narrow Stanford victory over UCLA. 
Moving into our Around the Pac-12 segment, starting with this past week in the Pac-12, Jabril, what games interested you and what happened in the conference? Well, there weren't too many surprises this week. The LA schools took care of business at home, both of them sweeping the Washington schools. Colorado, of course, beat the Bay Area schools. And then Arizona State, I don't know, Oregon is another big story. They got postponed because of COVID. So hopefully Oregon can get back to playing because they provide us with some marquee matchups usually over the week. So we're missing out on some Oregon basketball. And Els, where are the standings at right now? Talk a little bit about where, where each team stands at this point in the season. Yeah, looking at the standings, it's a clear number one right now, and that's UCLA at 7-0. and And then behind them, you have USC and Oregon tied for second. Oregon, of course, holding their place after not playing for the past week or so, as Jabril mentioned. Um, and then Colorado following them. Not many people expected to see Colorado there. They've been the surprise team of the Pac-12 so far. And then behind Colorado, you have a tie between Stanford and Arizona. Stanford, of course, beat Arizona in their early season matchup, but the two will play again uh, next week. So that should be interesting. Jamar Baker out for the season for Arizona. He went for over 20 points in that game. So it'll be interesting to see how Arizona matches up against Stanford when they play again. And then following that, you have teams with losing records in conference, Oregon State, Washington State, Utah, Cal, Arizona State, and then Washington bringing up the rear. And one team that you want to mention there is Arizona State, who's played significantly less games than the other teams. They're one in three. Um, really I think they're, they're heading into an easier part of their schedule now after playing really the top teams in the conference. We'll see if they can start racking up some wins, as I feel like we've been saying for the past however many weeks. It just hasn't started happening. And then looking into the week ahead of us, where we'll see the standings change somewhat, possibly. Um, there aren't as many good games as there were this past week, in my opinion, but there's a lot of room for upsets. I think that Stanford versus the L.A. schools, that's going to be the, the highlight of the week for Stanford fans and Pac-12 fans in general. Um, but then there is a very good game between Arizona and Arizona State. As you said, Arizona State has underperformed. They recently lost to Oregon State. And given that they've got Martin, they have Bagley, Christopher, that is not a game they should be losing. So it's going to be interesting to see at what point do they step up. Like you said, Els, we've been talking about it a lot this season. We initially thought Arizona State was going to win this conference. The unbelievable amount of talent that they have, in my opinion, I still would not be shocked if they ended up, for example, winning the Pac-12 tournament because they have that talent. It's just going to be how they're able to play down the line throughout the rest of the season. So that Arizona-Arizona State game is going to be extremely interesting. Otherwise, we're just going to be watching out for upsets. Will Colorado somehow fall to the Washington schools? That would be a big surprise. Will the LA schools fall to Cal? We saw that Cal was able to take down Utah. You never really know what will happen. But it's going to be very interesting to see how the Pac-12 continues to play out. But with that, it's been a packed episode. We got to talk to Eric Haslam, which was fantastic, talking about the NCAA tournament analytics and, and, really, uh, and really everything in between. And we got to recap the past week's games, look ahead to the week ahead, and we got to take a look around the Pac-12. So it was a great episode. We'll be back again next week. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at SUMBB Podcast. I'm Teddy Solomon alongside Els Boone and Jabril Taha. Thank you so much for listening, everybody.